0: She is the recipient of a Peabody Award, a Screen Actors Guild Award, a Golden Globe Award, a Grammy Award, and too many Emmys to even mention, and also the recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Who is she? She's Carol Burnett. Raised poor, but rich in character, and characters. Carol Burnett for the entire hour. I'm Doctor Alan Campbell, and this is Watching America.
1: My life,
2: watching America,
1: my life,
2: panic in America.
1: From WHRV Norfolk, this is Watching America.
2: I love variety. I didn't want to be the same person in a sitcom. I love music, I love the excitement of guest stars, I love a rep company, I love doing sketches and being different characters every single week. And uh, so what we in essence mounted was a musical comedy review every single week.
0: She is without question one of the, if not in my estimation, the most talented person in the United States. But I wrote and jotted this down in the way into the studio today. She is actually the national antidote to pomposity. She's authentic, genuine, lovely, warm, kind, and extremely funny. Who else could I be speaking of except Carol Burnett? Thank you. <laughs> well, we know you most recently from your series on Netflix, A Little Help, yeah. and okay. from The Carol Burnett Show, of course, on MeTV, which we're all enjoying and basking in your presence again on the, on the screen. She is also the author of two books, uh, One More Time, which was a memoir about her life. It's had two issues. And a very special, poignant book called Carrie and Me, A Mother-Daughter Love Story, She's also a playwright. And she is my guest on Watching America and I Am Over the Moon. Carol, thank you so very much for joining us.
2: Thank you, Alan. I'm happy to be here.
0: I want to begin at the beginning, as they say. Uh, You were born in Texas. Yes. And we don't hear a lot about those years. Now, I know you you moved at seven, and we'll get to that in a moment. But what are your recollections of of Texas, if any?
2: Quite quite a lot. Uh, We were, you know, that was the Depression. And so uh, we were on what they called the WPA at the time, and so we would um, we lived in this old house that had a wraparound porch, and the sidewalk was buckling in the front of the house, <laughs> and we would wait on a I think a, every week I don't remember what day it was in the week, but the government would come by and provide us provide me with some hand me down dresses, and give us a chicken. Wow so that we could, we would have chicken. <laughs> and and uh, then I would roller skate in front of the house, but as I say, the sidewalk was buckled, and I would fall down and skin my knees, and then my grandmother, Nanny, would come running with the iodine, and I would scream bloody murder. <laughs> then finally she said, well, you can't roller skate out here. You're going to have to roller skate in the house. Wow. Now the floor was kind of slanted because it was a very old house. Mm -hmm. And so I would uh, get up to the top of where where the slant was, and then I would roll down on the wooden floor and on my roller skates and stop myself at the screen door with my hands. And so a few years ago, I went back to San Antonio, and I wanted to visit the old house. Mm -hmm. And so the mayor took me by there, and um, the owners let me come in. And the skate marks were still there. Wow.
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow, yeah. They
2: said I- they tried to bust them out for years, but they were so deep.
1: Well,
0: did you uh, possibly consider the idea of, of purchasing a couple of boards just as a memory? <laughs> no, I
2: love the idea that they're there, and they're yes. still
0: there. So much of your life, Carol, is um, sincerely, truly cinematic. I mean, there's these all these little vignettes that uh, are wondrous, just a golden thread through your life. Uh, yes. Certainly, you've had your share of pain and uh, and hardship. But there's, there's always uh, this, this recovery factor with something poignant and beautiful at the end of it. And, and we'll investigate some of that as we continue. Your mother was an alcoholic, as we know, and a very beautiful lady. I've seen yes. the pictures and photographs. Uh, very, very uh, witty, smart, yep. clever, mm-hmm. uh, independent loved your father to the extent that she sympathized with him in a way and felt that she ought to join him in his weakness, which was also alcohol. Uh-huh. And she basically became an alcoholic herself. Mm-hmm. But she didn't t- entirely give up. She decided to move to Los Angeles in the hopes of uh, gaining vengeful work and uh, and became a publicity writer. You and your nanny, beloved nanny, followed suit uh, when you were seven, one year later. Mm-hmm. And you go to live in the apartment house that she lives in down the hall. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I found very interesting, and, I, and this chapter of your life is fascinating, you lived with Nanny in one room. Yes. Your mum lived down the hall and uh, with your little sister, Chrissy. Uh-huh. How was that configured and how was that decided? Was it ever officially decided or was it an informal agreement?
2: Well, uh, actually, uh, when uh, my mother, <laughs> excuse me, When she came to California, she wasn't drinking then. Ah. And um, Chrissy wasn't born yet. And she had a room down the hall, and she wanted Nanny and me to have our own room together. And that was fine by me because Nanny was really my mother. Yes. And I loved my real mother, but Nanny was it. It was one room, and with the Murphy pull-down bed from the wall. Right. And I slept on the couch. But then my mother, and it's in the book, so it's not. uh, She had a love affair, and she and my dad were divorced by then. My mother had an affair with a married man. Right. And she got pregnant. And so uh, she was hoping that maybe he'd leave his wife because they had no children. But of course, that wasn't to be. But she had. had the baby, and that was my kid's sister, Chris.
0: At the time, the Hollywood sign was in the background. Did it say Hollywood Land, as it originally it, when said?
2: When we first went out, yes, it did. <laughs> and then I don't remember when they took the land part off. Right. But the neighborhood kids, we all ran around and played, and, uh, and we would climb the sign.
0: Really? Yeah. That, that early? Okay. Now, uh, you had your cousin Janice, who was in yes. the environs, and your good friend, Isla May. Was Isla, also May.
2: Uh-huh. Isla
0: May. Isla uh, May. Would you all venture up to the hills to do uh, that?
2: Uh, well, we, not Janice, because Janice didn't live in our neighborhood. I see. But Isla May and Norma and Bobby and uh, Jean and all, we'd say, oh, we're, we would be flying kites somewhere on a hill. And then we'd say, well, let's board. Let's go climb the sign. <laughs> And it's a wonder we didn't break our necks because it was very rickety, yes. and and it had a lot of splinters in the back. But we would climb up there, and uh, for some reason, the O's were my favorite. They were easier <laughs> to get up, and we would lean over the letters and. Scream out, "Hi, Hollywood!" <laughs> you
0: know. I mean, that in of itself is is a cinematic. You know, just, I know. Just, uh, it's just calling out for it to be made. I mean, <laughs> you you are a living biopic. You really are. <laughs> Um, let me just ask you about Nanny as well. Uh, yeah, she she was a Christian Scientist, and so uh, she read Mary Baker Eddy. And but she... she
2: was a hypochondriacal Christian Scientist.
0: Yes, that's fascinating. Now I love people with ambiguity. I love people with contradictions. <laughs> well, I, you I would just have adore loved them. Her. Okay. <laughs> let me ask you a, a question that I've I've wondered, and and this if this is broaching too close, then just tell me to back off, Alan, and I will. Um, I I had an eccentric mother who. Uh, your nanny reminds me of very, very oh. much. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, there's there's times of, of, of familial, nice intimacies at night, you know, and, and you have conversations. Do you remember the conversations that you had with nanny when she was in the Murphy bed and you were sleeping on the couch?
2: Well, she would do things like bend down and look under the bed every night. I said, nanny, what do you look? She says, well, I'm making sure. There are no robbers or crooks (laughs) under the bed. (laughs) (laughs) They get in, you know. Then she would joke and she'd say, "No, I'm just looking under there to see if Clark Gable's under there (laughs) or Randolph Scott." That was another one. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes.
0: Now, um, like my mother, she had false teeth, so she would would she take them out at night and and pop a capsule that would dissolve. Oh,
2: she was funny, and she would grin and make faces and I would just get hysterical. <laughs> you know, but uh, as far as the Christian science thing goes, she we went to Sunday school and she was going, went to church and all of that, but she was always telling me she was dying. She'd <laughs> wake up and feel her pulse and I'd say, are you, all, no, this is the worst I've ever had, and then I'd be afraid <laughs> to go to school. <laughs> you know, and yeah, and then she'd say, and if it didn't if it the prayers didn't work, she'd say, "Give me a phenobarbital, which was a <laughs> pill." So I was raised with a lot of mixed messages. Let me put yes, it that way, yes, you know. Yes. And uh, so I do believe in doctors. <laughs> that's know. that's good. We're, we're,
0: yeah. we're assured, particularly at the time we're, we're oh, in at the yeah. moment. So, let yeah, me just yeah. ask you also about, um, I mean, I just adore your life. Uh, you went to four matinees before 1 p.m. a week, yes. which meant eight films.
2: Eight and films a week.
0: Eight films a week. I mean, th- that's a lot to ingest. Yeah, uh, well, and- you know,
2: They were double features, and they were second runs. So, like, the first runs were at the Grammar's Chinese or the Egyptian. They were too expensive. Yes. So then once they had played out... They would go to a second-run uh, movie theater like the Vogue or the Iris Theater on Hollywood Boulevard, and there would be two movies. So we would go on a Saturday and a Sunday, and uh, uh, you know we'd see two, we'd see four, and then sometimes on a Wednesday at Kino night at the Vogue Theater, we would go and see two more. And so it was six to eight movies a week, you know, and uh, I think it was. A dime for me and a quarter for nanny.
0: And with you, Kino, you won a small fortune one time of five dollars. What, what yeah, that's
2: did, right. What, oh, we, we were so thrilled because our rent was thirty dollars a month. So that oh, was five okay. days' rent.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You yeah. know, well done, well done. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Now you described your dad as yep. being a very sweet, kind. Uh, alcoholic. In fact, you said that in some ways he would get sweeter by the drink, practically. And you described him also as a sweet Jimmy Stewart. He
2: was, uh, yes. Well, I always said he was a drunk Jimmy Stewart.
0: A drunk Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, there are particular men you've had high admiration for. Uh, one is Jimmy Stewart, and the other one is Jim Neighbors. Uh, yes. You referred to Jim Neighbors as your good luck charm. Right.
1: Um,
0: from all accounts I've heard, I never had the good fortune to meet him. But from all accounts I've heard, a very sweet, generous, kind person.
2: Very, very much. He was kind of like the brother I never had, and um, he uh, he became actually we we became close friends. And when I had my second daughter, uh, he became her uh, godfather.
0: Yes, I, re- I remember you being on Goma pile in a blue uniform uh, <laughs> yes. and, and and donning it. And yeah. uh, there was there was a, an immediate chemistry between the two of you, which was yeah. I think evident to all. Yeah. Now let's go back to your mum. As we said, she was beautiful and witty, and she could be a bit snappy uh, oh, yeah. with with her tongue, particularly when she was uh, drinking yeah. uh, excessively.
2: Well, she started drinking after. Chrissy was born. I
0: see, I that, see.
2: because she was blue. She was sad. She, you know, uh, Life just did, wasn't working for her, and that's when she started drinking. So then, as a result, Chris would spend more time with me and Nanny.
0: I see. So she gr- gradually gravitated down the hallway. Right. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I, 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 again, can relate to you to some degree is uh, my father was an alcoholic, and when you come from a dysfunctional background. Yeah. Um, you spend an awful lot of time trying to act normal to people who might not understand the um, the instability of your background. But you also learn, I think, to have a capacity of compassion. Uh, and that is very, very evident in you. You're extremely compassionate, even in the characterizations that you've done. For instance, let's talk about the family briefly. Or I'm kind of jumping ahead and we'll come back again. That's okay. Mm-hmm. But when you spoke um, of... of your work, or when you do speak of your work, I always sense that you have great regard for your characters and that you don't look down on them. You no. you appreciate them for all their eccentricities and and who they are. But even with like the family, uh, which was such a, a a cardinal part, it became of the of the show. You could take any of those scenes, and they could really play like a Tennessee Williams right production. Uh I know with Maggie Smith you tried that one. Time. Yes
2: we did as a just as a rehearsal. Uh we were doing a scene where uh uh Maggie was uh my son we you never saw our sons. Bubba was his name <laughs> yeah. and uh yeah. she has called Eunice and Ed and Mama in to talk about the fact that Bubba is uh a bully mm-hmm. you know a, a terrible student and all and she wanted to straighten them out about it. And then, of course, in the course of interviewing the family, the teacher realizes that poor Bubba, he had no choice but to be what he is, and that he's an unhappy kid at home and all. And she laces in to Eunice and to Ed and to uh, Vicky as mama. And so just as we were rehearsing it, I don't remember whose idea it was, mine or Harvey, somebody, but I said, let's just do it without the accents. And not play it over the top. Let's just do it, because there are no jokes written in it. Right. It was all character-driven. And uh, so we did it not going for the laugh, and it was devastating. Yes. It was It was very, very serious. It's a great acting... Uh, Exercise. Yeah, totally.
0: Yeah. Okay. Now,
2: take the same thing and make it funny. Yeah. Without changing a line or a word. The first time I read it, uh it was the very first one, uh they were thinking that I should be mama. Mm.
1: And
2: I you know, uh Eunice yeah. speaks to me because it reminded right. me of my mother's angst. I mean Eunice wasn't beautiful, but uh but she had my, like the angst that my real mother
0: had well you would sc- contort and screw up your your mouth and your eyes would go <laughs> right. big and yeah. and <laughs> just this this uh on the verge of nuclear explosion was in the face and it was wondrous i mean it, it was absolutely delightful it got to the point that I mean, you were disappointed if you didn't get uh, a family uh, skit <laughs> well, we each episode. Do it every week, I know, you know but it, you you, yeah. you longed for it. It's like that special chocolate, you know, in a yeah. box. You know, like, I found the cherry one. There it is. You yeah. know.
1: Um,
0: so you you had this innate trust, Carol, that yeah. you were going to go to UCLA. Yep. And then one day in your, in your lobby of your, your apartment house, and your, yours was the first room off the lobby, right. you used to be able to peer through to a, a series of panels of wood boxes where mail was slipped. Yes, and, and, and I and could see in.
2: if there was a, an envelope in our slot. But to go back, Nanny wanted me to go to uh, Woodbury School uh, uh, where I would learn to be a secretary. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, you go there, you be a secretary, and you nab the boss. <laughs> gonna, you can nab the boss.
1: Yes, yes,
2: For her, you were only as good as the man you married. Right. Yes, you know, yes. then she grew up that way. So I said, I knew, I, I didn't say I wish, I hope. I saw myself on campus at UCLA. I knew I was going to get to go. I just didn't know how. So this one morning, there was a an envelope in our little pigeonhole mailbox there. I went across the lobby and I, I brought it inside the room and it had my name typewritten on the envelope with the address and I opened it up oh and Nanny said you can't go to UCLA, it's too expensive. It was $43. <laughs> you know? yeah. And as I say, our rent was $30 so forget it.
1: Yes. And yes. so
2: I opened up the envelope and it was a $50 bill. And
1: with
0: no note, no, 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 ind-
2: no, nothing. Fifty dollar bill. And that was the fee that, you know, that's, that's how I got to go to UCLA. First to semester, this day, yes. I do not know where that came from. So I enrolled at UCLA with the idea of majoring in journalism. And then I found out there was no major in journalism at UCLA. I could take a course in journalism, and joined the Daily Bruin, the school newspaper, but there was no major. And so I was looking through the catalog, and I came up on theater arts English, where then I could take uh, writing and playwriting courses. And Mm so I thought, well, that's good. I'll make that my major and join the school paper and so forth. Well, if you were a theater arts major, every freshman had to take courses in acting, scenery building, lighting, uh, costume, and, and so there I was. I had to take these courses, and so I was in this acting class, and uh, I was terrified.
0: Well, we have the famous occurrence of, of you being witnessed at a special showing uh, by a man who would eventually, a couple actually, who would become your benefactor yes. of a sort. You were happily scrounging away, trying to put some more d'oeuvres into your purse to take <laughs> back to Nanny. Uh, and a gentleman walks up to you and he says, you know, um, you were very good, I enjoyed what you did. And you said, well, thank you, thank you. And he says, well, what do you want to do? And you said, I'd like to go to New York. And he says, well, why aren't you there? Take it from there, Carol.
2: Well, uh- It was actually, we had, uh, I was in a music class, and the professor had said, uh, we're going to be in this black tie party, uh, and and there were nine of us in the class, why don't you kids come down, and you'll be the entertainment at the party, and so, and I'll grade you then, you know, so there was, wow, a chance to go, so I did a scene from Annie Get Your Gun, and then I went to the hors d'oeuvre table, and as you said, I'm, Putting hors d'oeuvres in a napkin and putting them in my purse to take home to nanny, and uh, there's a tap on my shoulder,
0: Found and I, oh
2: my god, I'm busted! Yes, you know? we got you. <laughs> yeah, and dum, I dum, dum. And it was this gentleman and his wife. they black tie, and she's in a lovely gown, and he, again, you know, right. Told he said, "What do you want to do with your life?" Said, "Someday I want to go to New York, and be on Broadway," and da da da. And he said, "Why aren't you there?" And I. Said, well, I'm hoping someday to have enough money to go, and he said, I'll lend you the money, and I thought it was champagne talking. Mm-hmm. And uh, his wife said, No, no, he he means it. So he gave me his card, and he said, uh, Be in my office the week from Monday. And so at the time, I had a boyfriend, and so he was in the uh, scene with me, and we borrowed a car and drove down to La Jolla, actually, and uh, he had a big office, and the carpet, I think, was like a vacuna. I mean, it was a gorgeous <laughs> office, and he was sitting behind this beautiful desk, and he asked us a bunch of questions about what we wanted to do and so forth. And he said, okay, I'm going to lend you $1,000. Well, now, that, that's like getting...
1: I looked it up.
0: Ten million today. Well, I I looked it up uh, actually before doing the show. I looked it up uh, over the weekend, and it's actually equivalent, uh, interestingly, of ten thousand today. uh, Wow! At at the well, no, that's incorrect because I did it according. I thought it happened in nineteen fifty-six, and it actually happened in fifty-two. So it's going to be worth more than that. Fifty-two. Yeah. So fifty-two. So I I have to recalculate. But (laughs) now we probably have lots of people all over America and around the world trying to recalculate it.
2: Well, it was just we were stunned. And he said there are stipulations. First of all, you must use this money to go to New York on. Hmm. Second, it's a loan. Pay it back when you can. Uh Uh, Third, you must help others out if you're successful.
0: Which you have done.
2: And then... You must never reveal my name.
0: Which also you have done, right? So you you have abided by all the conditions. Yep. Did you have anxiety? I wondered, um, receiving that amount of money. Of oh my gosh, I don't want to, you know, uh, prove myself wrong to this man. Well, I'm anxious about whether or not I'll be able to pay it back. Did Did you ever fret about that?
2: Uh, no. Oh, good. You no, know, I didn't. I I had faith. Uh, and you know, <laughs> Alan, I think the reason is because. Of all the movies that Nanny and I went to see, hmm. they imprinted on me like uh, Judy and Mickey,
0: right? Yeah, Rooney
2: and Judy Garland.
0: You could put on a show in the barn. You
2: could put on a show, and you'd wind up on Broadway. Right. So I, be- <laughs> and there was, there was no cynicism in the
0: movies. That's so important. See, that's that's one of the things I, you know, I had the privilege of uh, meeting Tim Conway and interviewing him, and uh-huh. he spoke about contemporary humor. And um, he was certainly not stodgy or old fashioned at all. Oh, no, not at all. But I think he, even though he was glad to obviously get work to to continue to do appearances on sitcoms, he told me, he said, I, I get tired of the setup, setup joke, setup, setup joke, setup, setup joke. Right. And he said, um, there's a certain degree of cynicism in humor, uh, which he expressed to me. And I'm hearing an, uh, not an echo, probably the origin from your voice yeah. saying the same thing. I mean, I love America. Uh, as you can tell, I was born across the water. But one of the things I love about America, but I, I'm concerned it's disappearing, is the optimism. Always the glass full. That's and, right. And, and you are that kind of
1: personality. Like, and at, I think
2: it's because I was raised in the 40s and seeing those movies.
1: Yes, yes, yes. You know, they
2: were my escape. And uh, so when I got the money, I said, OK, I'm, I'm going. And so I went <laughs> home and well, we cashed it. Because we needed gas. Yes. I had all this cash, and I went into the room and I put all this cash on the bed. Wow. I thought she was going to have a heart attack.
0: You must have felt like a mobster. Oh,
2: tell me. <laughs> she said, "Where? What?" Because I, I hadn't told her all what was going on. Yes. And I explained it to her, and she said, "Well, you can't go to New York. Look at all that money. We can we can do with that." And I said, "I have to." Yes. I have to. And uh, integrity. So, yeah. And integrity. So, Yes. I went to New York. Well, first of all, I unfortunately had to have a wisdom tooth pulled so I could do that with that money. And then I, you know, bought a cardboard suitcase and packed very few things because I didn't have a lot and uh, got on a plane. And I didn't know, Alan, this is how stupid I was. I didn't know where I was going to stay.
0: So your first night, were you just in a hotel for a week or so? I just got
2: on a plane, yeah. and now I'm looking through the uh, magazine in New York, New Yorker, and nice. I see an ad for the Algonquin Hotel. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. and it looked nice, you know, <laughs> where the round table, the, all those wits used to gather. And uh, so I got off the plane, went into Penn Station, all of that,
0: walked to the
2: Algonquin, checked in. it was.
0: Wow,
1: that was a lot.
2: That was a lot.
1: Yes. yes. And
2: so I was getting kind of low on cash with with the airplane and the wisdom tooth and, you know, all of that. And uh, I used to hang my clothes in the apartment nanny and I lived in on the bathroom shower rack. So I found myself at the Algonquin unpacking (laughs) my clothes on the bathroom shower. I didn't, because I never had a closet. Yes. Now, here's a closet, and I didn't know how to use it. And it started to rain, and I love rain. Yes. And uh, I turned on the radio, and the rain turned out to be Hurricane Carol. And I thought, wow. whoa, that is some sort of an omen. Yes. And I had one telephone number from a, a gal who had been at UCLA who came to New York, and she got in touch with me through her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. and said, if Carol ever comes to New York, give her this number. Yes. So I had this number. And I thought, okay. So I called her the next day, and she said, where are you? I said, I'm at a hotel. She get out of there. Come over here. I said, where's here? She, she said, I live at the rehearsal club, and it's a club for young ladies uh-huh. interested in the theater.
1: There's your <laughs> ticket.
2: Yeah. In fact, Stage Door was written about it.
0: Right. Yes. Yeah.
2: And so I walked over in the rain to the rehearsal club, mm-hmm. and there were all these girls running around, and, all, it, and she said, I'll introduce you to Miss Carlton, who is the house mother or whatever. And it was all very much on the up and up. And uh, she said, well, I have one bed available. And it was in the room. all need. Yep, that's all I need. And I never had a bed. And so uh, it was in a room called the transit room, and there were four other roommates, so there were five of us in this one room. Hmm. And so I, there was a dresser and a cot. And so I put my suitcase at the foot of the bed and met all the other girls and so forth. And uh, there were five women, one bathroom and one closet.
0: <laughs> I'm getting this idea of, you know, Louisa May Alcott, little women thing. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: it was right out of a sitcom. Yes. Because there was the tough one. There was a tough girl who had been around the block a few times. Yes. There was the Stanislavsky girl who n- never bathed. <laughs> and there was an English girl, Tinker Gillespie. What a name. Yeah. Oh, this, her, her aunt was a famous uh, English uh, singer-comedian. Oh, gosh.
0: Oh. I'm trying to wrap yeah, my brains think, here to think of it.
2: But, she she yeah. was kind of older. And I mean, anyway, so Tink, that was her aunt. And Tinker was very bouncy and cute. And then Yvonne Craig was a ballerina, mm. and she later on went on to be, become Batgirl.
1: Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. So
2: That's... that was our group. But it's like each one, and I was the hick from, from California, who the naive one. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, know, you
0: you were a hat, a hat check girl, and then you first real breakthrough. Um, is was two things. Well, once upon a mattress, which was uh-huh. was y- y- your key thing, your real break. But you also initially were on television with Paul Winchell and Jerry Mahoney That's on, a, on first, the on yeah. first, yeah, uh-huh. first, and and then you would do a live sitcom with Buddy Hackett, right which was exceptional. No one did live sitcoms. Yeah. And, and then you finally land Gary Moore. I'm impressed by your work ethic, which is consistent. Uh, it's, it's manifest in the way you treat people from from your experience with Gary Moore, modeled after him. But you have a strong work ethic, exemplified by the fact that you're doing the Gary Moore show, plus Once Upon a Mattress mm-hmm. every week, every day, every performance. Yep. That takes a lot of, of chutzpah, stanimer, Consistency and Discipline. And for that, incidentally, you were rewarded with your first Emmy. Um, did did you just innately have that work ethic?
2: Well, yes. I, and I I felt so fortunate because first, when, when I left to go to New York, my friends at UCLA said, OK, Carol, what's going to happen? And I said, I'm going to New York and my first show will be directed by George Abbott. Wow. And that's what happened. Wow. It was like out of the blue. And so... There I am, George Abbott directed Once Upon a Mattress. He was he was the granddaddy of musical comedy yes, directors. Yes. And I'm doing Mattress, and then I was asked to do the Gary Moore show the same time. So uh, I would do Mattress eight shows a week, and I would be rehearse Gary all through the week. And Gary, we would tape Gary's show on Friday, and I'd be finished at uh, eight o'clock. I'd grab the subway, and take the subway down to where Mattress was because the curtain was at 8.30. And so for a while there, I didn't have a day off. And then finally, (laughs) uh, they gave me a day off because (laughs) during the course of Once Upon a Mattress, the character gets on top of 20 mattresses and can't sleep. Right. I fell asleep (laughs) (laughs) in front of the audience.
0: So that must must have been terrifying to recover, I mean, to come out of it. I
2: I remember the stage manager going, Carol, Carol, wake up, Carol. (laughs) And I thought, oh, my God. And I think I almost fell off the 20 mattresses. It was only about maybe 20 seconds or whatever it was, but... Uh,
0: sufficient to be scary. Right.
2: So, so then the producers changed the schedule, so I had Sundays off.
0: That's important. Now, you, uh, your family, regrettably, your mother and your father uh, both died at the age of 46 at different yeah. times because your father was, I think, three years older than her. Yeah. So they really didn't get to see a lot of your success, neither did Nanny, save for a couple of things. They saw you on Ed Sullivan, yes. and they saw you on the Jack Parr show. Yes, and then there's this really interesting incident where Gary uh, Moore goes out to the West Coast to do shows on your home territory, your home turf, uh-huh. and acknowledges Nanny in the audience, and <laughs> she's all dressed to the nines. Can you tell us about that?
2: Oh, it was so funny, and you know, she's there, and now, of course, she, she's Carol Burnett's grandmother. You know, but when I first went to New York, she she did not think. She said, "You're going you'll be dead in a week. It's too cold." You know that kind
1: of, right, talk. right.
2: <laughs> and uh, so now it's like, wow, I, I'm I'm her grandmother. So Gary came out at the beginning of the show and he said, "Well, Carol's grandmother is in the audience. Where are you, Mrs. White? Where are, you? well, she had her lip. She always she dressed okay, but she, and she had beautiful legs, so her skirt was a little short. <laughs> and she was dressed in a lipstick and the hair done and the whole thing." She stood up and she <laughs> clasped her hands above her head like
1: a, like a prize fighter. Yes.
2: <laughs> I, oh my God, I wanted to die. Oh, Nanny, come on, just, just take a nice bow, you know?
0: But you, that's who she was. You went in rescue of your sister. And again, yes. this is one of those divine interventions, I think, by observing your life as an outsider. Um, You were very concerned about uh, your little sister, Sissy. She, as you said elsewhere, was growing uh, upwards and outwards, which was no small concern for you in that environment. You approached your mother down the hall on a trip back and said, let me please take her back to New York with me. She was, I think, 11 or 12 at this point. Right. And uh, she said, well, the woman down the hall is not going to like that, referring to Nanny. And she's, and you said, we won't tell them, but I, I would like to take her back and we'll just say she's coming for a visit. Mm-hmm. You take her back, which was a very brave action on your part. You are literally her saviour. You bring her back to New York City. She protests. um, You get a a, a kind of a foreshadowing of what teenage rebellion can be like for parents. And she finally accepts the idea. Ten days later, your mother dies. Yes. Um, Do you not see that as
1: miraculous? I do. I do. I think
2: because, you know, we called uh, Mama and Nanny when we got there. And Again, again, same thing. They was a Chris, come home, come home, and Prissy wanted to, and uh, I convinced her to stay. And uh, so, then uh, I think once that happened, I think Mama just was okay and gave just gave up.
0: I, I sometimes think again. I, I'm always conscious on this show of sounding a bit too lofty and, and peculiar to people, but um, sometimes I think people's spirits know. When to leave.
2: I think so, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you uh, you eventually go on with a contract with CBS, which is truly exceptional. It's a 10-year contract. And mm-hmm. in that 10-year contract, you are to do one special and uh, have two guest appearances on some other CBS show. Mm-hmm. This is all going fine and good. And then you have a five-year clause, which your agent uh, has put in mysteriously, that says, If within the first five years you decide you want to do a variety program, uh, either pay or play as the terms used in the industry, you have 30 shows. Uh, You are with your husband now, Mr. Hamilton, Mm -hmm. uh, and you met him through uh, also the Gary Moore show. He becomes eventually the producer, executive producer of your program with you. And you go out to California, you buy a house. Was it Betty Grable's house you bought right off? Okay. So you Mm -hmm. buy Betty Grable's house. And you think, uh-huh, got to pay this mortgage. Uh, maybe this won't be such a bad idea. So Christmas Eve, before between Christmas and New Year's Eve, you call the vice president up of, of uh, CBS and you say, hey, I want to have that deal come through with the idea of a variety show for myself. He dismissively kind of doesn't remember it then vaguely says, yeah, okay. And then the next day he calls you back after talking and consulting with lawyers and he says – you know, Carol, this is all fine and good, but variety is really a man's game. Right. At this time, you've got Dean Martin, you've got Jackie Gleason in Miami, and he throws at you the idea of doing a show called, a, a sitcom, Here's Agnes. <laughs> but you hold your ground. What gave you the confidence to do that? The contract, or did you just know, again, innately that you were going innately, to be able to do this?
2: Innately, I knew, because uh, from working on Gary's show, that comedy variety was what I felt that I was born to do. Because I wanted to, I didn't want to be Agnes every week. Right. I wanted to be different people every week. I wanted to have music. I wanted to have dancers. I wanted to have guest stars. I wanted to have a rep company like Sid Caesar, you know, and uh, all of that, and just the way Gary had it, you know, and because that was what I knew and yes. what I loved. And so there was just no question And the fact that they had to put us on the air. Uh, you know, I just I remember the first show. You know, and and we had our rep company that uh, I'm so proud of, and I got we were backstage, and I said we don't know what's going to happen, but the main thing is we have to go out and just have fun. That's what. That's why we got into show business.
0: That's that's your whole outlook. I see that it's replete all through your life. Yeah. Uh, Even from the beginning, the concoction, the recipe was perfect. Bob Banner, an executive, uh, says at the beginning, he says, "You know, Carol." Let the audience get to know you. Why don't you do a question and answer, which initially terrifies you but becomes one of the primary aspects of the show, Uh, and it it allows you to have your own persona and to segue into these characterizations at the same time, so you get the best of both worlds. But initially, you were frightened. Why was that?
2: Well, I was afraid nobody would ask anything, and then I was afraid if they did, I wouldn't have a snappy answer. And so um, Bob said, well, you know, if you're nervous about that, we'll put some... uh, plants in the audience and you'll know what i said and then i thought you know what that's not honest but it, mm. and if if i wind up with egg on my face at least they'll know it's truthful
0: again integrity
2: you know and it uh, and so the first time i went out it was pretty awful but anyway then i said i told bob i said look let's do it for three shows three or four shows and then if it doesn't work let's just forget it and so, after about the second show, when the audience, the studio audience, some of them had seen the show on, you know, on television mm-hmm. the previous week, so they knew to raise their hand and ask a question. So it started to catch on, and then I started to have fun with it, and uh, I, it was my, one of my favorite things that we did because there was there were no planned questions or anything, and uh, so. Uh, it worked. It worked because Bob was right. You know, well, before I put on the fat suit and black out my teeth or wear a fright wig, they should know who I am first.
0: The guests you had were phenomenal. I'm just going to go through the list very, very quickly. Uh, and I'm going to sound like one of those uh, disclaimers at the end of a, of a commercial you know, warning about you know, legal issues. But here's the list. Rita Hayworth, Peter Lawford, Michael Jackson, Mel Torme, Don Rickles, Bill Cos- excuse me, Bill Crosby – Bing Crosby. Bing Crosby. Yeah, I'm sorry. Bing Crosby. Uh, Ella Fitzgerald, Bob Hope, Steve Martin, Soupy Sales, Betty Grable, whose house you would eventually own. And she would appear on your show. How did yeah. that come about?
2: Oh, and of course, I grew you know, when, that's who Nanny and I would love. She was my favorite movie star. And uh, it's when we'd see all the Betty Grable musicals. And so when we asked her to be on, and she said yes, I, 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 I was 12 years old again. Uh, you know, or, yeah, or ten I mean, years old again—it's just such a thrill. And she was so funny. She was very laid back, very, very, very funny. And uh, Martha Ray was on that week with her too. Mm-hmm. Of course, Martha was way out there and funny <laughs> as hell too. You know, yeah. but Betty had this really uh, wry sense of humor. Yes. and And uh, then did we asked her to come to the house if she wanted, to, you know, come in. And go. She came over for a drink and. Her eyes, she kind of welled up. Her tear, she got yes. a little teary-eyed. Yes, you know, but very sweet, very sweet.
0: Gloria Swanson, my favorite film is Sunset Boulevard. I, oh. I adore that film. Um, I, I, I must watch it at least five or six times a year, literally, uh, and haven't stopped. I love. We loved, just
2: watched it the other night.
0: Isn't it gorgeous? I mean, it's oh, wonderful. Yeah. I just And it shot, you know, Billy Wilder, whom oh. you got to work with later on Front Page, oh, incidentally. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a whole other c- uh, conversation. You working with Martin Ritt on uh, Pete and Tilly, very serious. That was such a brave thing for you to do. Uh, then you do front page, and then you work with John Houston. I, I have a very small repertoire of imitations, but I do a fairly reasonably good John Houston. You want to oh, hear it? it oh, okay. do it. Off the coast of Los Angeles, a little island called Catalina. <laughs> I was there with Kate Hepburn and Bogey. That's it. You just <laughs> elongate. You just elongate the end of words. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, You had Bernadette Peters, Bob Newhart, Paul Lynn, uh, Carol Channing, whom I got to meet years later, Lucille Ball. Now, Lucille Ball is very significant for you. One of the things that, if I may dare say this, is uh, with no disregard to Desi. But I don't think the lady ever got the credit for her business sense and acumen. This is a woman who recognized the importance of the franchise of Mission Impossible, Star Trek, amongst other things, treated her employees like gold. And she became a mentor for you. What was it yeah. like when you first met her?
2: Well, she came to see me in What's Upon a Mattress. Wow. And she, the second night, I'll never forget it. It was May 12, 1959, because Mattress opened on the 11th. And I was more nervous knowing she was in the audience than I was the night before with the critics. Yes. And so after this, and I had this funky little dressing room with a couch where the coil was springing up. You know? <laughs> and she came in. And uh, to see me after the show, and she went towards the couch, and I said, look out. She said, I see it. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> she sat in the right part of the couch, and uh, must have been 20 minutes, 25 minutes, giving me all kinds of encouragement and mm. this and that and so forth. And as she was about to leave, she said, kid, she called me kid,
1: because
2: mm. she was 22 years older than, than I. And she said, kid, if you ever need me for anything? You just call me, okay? I said, thank you, you know. And about oh, four years later, I was doing well, and uh, CBS wanted me to do, it uh, was offering me a special, if I could get a major guest star. And uh, so, and Bob Banner was producing, and he said, call Lucy. And I said, oh, I don't want to bother her. I can't. He said, all she can do is say no. You know, I, I wish I could, but I can't. Sure. So I got up the nerve, and I called her office, and they put me right through to her. Say, hey, kid, you're doing great. What's cooking, you know? And I was just stuttering. I said, oh, I've got this special, but I, I didn't even let it <laughs> she said, When do you want me?
0: How sweet, how generous.
2: And so, yes, it, we did. It was called Carol Plus Two, and it was Lucille Ball and Zero Mustel
0: let me ask you about actually working at cbs studios in television city now oh, great. um stage 33 yes. uh, is is your stage and then yep. they, you know they call it bob barker and everything else in the actual production you had bob mackey he's un- unbelievably designing 50 costumes a week you have 65 65 average wow uh, So you have-
2: that amounts to in 11 years uh, about sev- over 17000 costumes
1: My goodness. Okay.
0: You have a 28-piece orchestra, which would never occur today. Now, you know, I remember from the question and answer segments that you had that it always looked to me that stage right, there were glass panels... That Blast. was
2: where the orchestra
0: was. Yeah. Okay, and and so I mean, and in those days, there was a lot going on. You had the Jim Nabors show. You had Sonny and Cher, and you, mm-hmm. I, as I understand it, you could walk through the ladies' room uh, and to to be adjacent to the Sonny and Cher stage. Yeah, yeah, d- d- doing that. Uh, Glenn Campbell. So I mean, it, mothers Brothers. Across so the many hall. variety shows. I I would feel terribly remiss if we didn't talk about your lovely daughter Carrie. Thank you. Um, one of the things which uh, I was moved by your book was the the candor and the honesty about it. Carrie was a very sensitive, intelligent young woman who struggled uh, for a sense of identity and got involved with uh, uh, various substances which began to take over her personality. You came to the realization rather late because she was successful at concealing it. And um, one of the things that you said, I think which is so significant is As a parent, we have to be willing to be hated.
2: You have to love them enough to let them hate you.
0: Elaborate on that, Carol.
2: Well, I first, you know, when it first started to happen, I was afraid to come down hard on her, or this, or that, or make it it would make it worse. But then I realized, you know, into it, um, I we had to put her into a rehab place, and I she hated my guts, you know, and screamed and yelled and all, and I that's when I realized. I don't care. Let her hate me because that's not Carrie. It's what that substance is. And that substance is what's hating me. Yes. Not her. Yes. And, you know, after she got well, oh my God, we just had the best time together and we wrote a play together and she made a movie, uh, called Tokyo pop. She made other, she appeared on a lot of the shows.
1: Fame.
0: Stuff. She was and, a star in fame.
2: Yeah. She starred in fame. And, um, after Tokyo Pop came out, she got rave reviews. And I, <laughs> Marlon Brando called her. Wow. And he wanted to have a meeting with her about something. And she she didn't want to... I, I became a stage mother. I said, Carrie, <laughs> are you crazy? Marlon Brando. She said, Mom, I've done the movie. Now I want to concentrate on my music. Mm. She didn't care about fame. Mm-hmm. She just wanted to do the work. And for all of your listeners out there, I would encourage you to go on YouTube and uh, type in Carrie Hamilton, because there's a lot of stuff uh, about her on there and, and some uh, numbers that she did on fame mm. and all. Yes. And I remember not too long ago, my husband and I were having dinner with uh, Vince Gilligan, who created Breaking Bad.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm a big
2: fan of him. Yes, His writing. i am
1: too. He's a fabulous uh, writer.
2: Yeah, and he worked on the X-Files, and he wrote the X-Files that Carrie was in. Wow. And he said that they wanted, he said, I wanted to write more for her. She was absolutely brilliant.
0: There's some really nice interviews with the two of you which are uh, on YouTube, uh, Uh which are accessible, and you can just see the warmth and the the intimacy between you and your your pride. Yeah. uh, in her and and what she had overcome and achieved, um, she's a very warm person. Was very extremely warm, as yeah. uh, as indicated. Humorous, clever, mm-hmm. and then you lost her. Yeah. And um, we are in a midst in America of people going through very very difficult times. As a person who has always seen the water in the glass as half full rather than half empty, as somebody who is not cynical, how do you cope in the midst of your darkest hours?
2: Well, there's. You have to. Uh, what's what's the other choice? Um, what I remember, I, I cope by remembering the good things and the fact that, you know, the, so that your audience doesn't, she didn't die of drugs, she died no, of yes. cancer.
0: I'm sorry, I should have. Cleared, no, just not,
2: and, but uh, she had a sense of humor right up. I, the last time she was admitted to the hospital, I'll let forget this, I went in and she was kind of a, sleeping, it was soon five o'clock in the morning or so I pulled up a chair and I sat by her bed because she'd been in and out of the hospital a lot and so she her, she opened her eyes and I made this feeble joke I said oh yeah so you want her to come back to the hospital again huh and without <laughs> missing a beat she said I miss the food <laughs>
0: <laughs> well she was very crea- creative I mean you, you speak about her creating a character chemo yep. and, and and yucky chucky yep. Um uh, even in the midst of the pain, she has that same chemistry in her exhibited that yeah. you have, um, well, a, a
2: survival. Well, chemo and yucky-chucky were the tumors. Yes. And so she drew them on those lines, and then she would picture them disintegrating, you know, and the, that yeah. kind of thought, you know. But
0: what What is the thing that you loved the most about your darling Carrie?
2: I think... Well, of course, her sense of humor and her love of people. Yes. She never met a stranger. She loved people, and she would engage people until and, and wanted to hear their story. Sometimes a, a homeless person would come up to her in New York on the street and ask for money. She said, I'll give you $10 if you tell me your story. I want wow. to hear about you. Yes. And so, But then one time when I was going to see her in the hospital, a nurse stopped me. And she said, I have to talk to you about your daughter. And I said, well, what? She said, you know, now, now, Carrie, you know, her head was shaved and she, she couldn't walk. And she, she said, when we go in to take care of her, she's smiling. And I said, Carrie, how come you're always so cheerful? And Carrie said, every day I wake up and decide. Well, here's a key word. Mm. Every wake up, day I wake up and decide today I'm going to love my life.
0: That's who she was. Carol Burnett, (laughs) I love America. And I love America, I think, most because of its special people. And in that list of special people, I put you right at the top. Oh, thank you. Um, You're kind, you're sincere, you're authentic, um, you're brave, brave. I've heard Julie Andrews say that about you, but you are not only on stage but off stage. And you have honored me and honored us at Watching America by uh, being so generous with your time and your candor and your honesty. One last indulgence, if I may.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I Every time you sang, I'm so glad we had this time together, I would mm-hmm. sing it along as well. Oh! <laughs> and I was wondering, would you pay me the great honor of allowing me to sing uh, it with you as we sure. conclude? Sure. Are you ready? Yeah, here we go. I've got to clear my throat. <clears> throat. Okay. This is my <laughs> moment. I think I'm, I'm tearing up here. I really am.
2: I'm so glad we had, had this time together. together. Just, just to have a, have laugh, a laugh or, or sing a song. a
0: song. Okay, I'm trying to get your key. Okay, I'll, I'll do it again. I'll you match get... me, because you can match anything. Okay. <laughs> I'm so
1: glad we had this time <laughs> together. Just, just to have, have a laugh or, or, sing, or sing a song. song.
0: Seems we, we just get started.
1: And before you know
2: it, comes the time we have to say, have to say so ball. long. That was Wonderful.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the only time you've been disingenuous in the entire interview. Carol Burnett, I love you. And this Alan, will be a memory for, for the rest of my life. I mean thank that.
2: Thank you so much. I, I, I so enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. My gosh, you know more about me than I do.
0: Oh, you're so very generous and kind. Bless you and God God thank bless you, you always. Thank, thank you so much, Alice. my dear. Stay safe. You too. Okay. Take care. God bless. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> been listening to Watching America.
1: Oh, Carol.
0: Our theme music is provided by Razorlight. Our recording engineer is Todd Washburn. Our producer Paul Bebo. Our senior producer is Gina Gamboni. Our executive producer Chuck Dowd. Heather Mazzoni is chief of content and Bert Schmidt is our CEO. I am the series creator and host, Alan Campbell. Oh, Carol. Until next time, take care
1: and blessings. Watching America is a production of WHRV Public Media in Norfolk, Virginia.